welcome to the Small Caps Podcast, where we discuss news and information related to ASX-listed companies and financial markets, keeping investors informed. Note that the content in this podcast is not financial or investment advice, and be sure to head over to smallcaps.com.au to get the latest market news. Now, without further delay, here's today's podcast. Welcome back to Small Caps. My name is Jess Fotick, and today uh, we are speaking with James Durant, uh, who is the managing director of RareX Limited. The company's ticker code is REE. Hi, James. It's lovely to have you on the show. Yeah, good morning. Likewise. So, James, for those of our Small Caps audience who aren't um, familiar with the company, would you mind giving us a brief overview of uh, RareX and your projects? Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Um, RareX was formed in late 2018, 2019, on the fundamental belief in the electrification of the world and the transition to the generation and use of clean energy. And it became a company purely focused on um, exploring and ultimately developing rare earth projects. And so through that process, um, we've established a rare earth project in the north of Western Australia in the Kimberley called Cummins Range which is technically uh, the largest undeveloped rare earth project in Australia. Uh, we've got the potential to expand that uh, with near mine anomalies uh, that could contribute to its net present value, which is already quite significant. Uh, we've got a portfolio of rare earth related tenements, particularly around carbonatite intrusions, which is the hard rock source of, of rare earths. And we have the team and the capacity and the capability to expand beyond that to secure projects in key locations of the in the world proximate to the end markets. Fantastic, James. Now, just talking about your Cummins Range um, project, which is your flag, flagship project, what are the key milestones that the company needs to achieve before you can begin mining operations? So really, Cummins Range is at that point where it's all about off-taken approvals right now. The engineering is at the requisite stage. So we are now getting um, line of sight on who's going to buy this product. Um, that will give us the leverage to move to the final stage of engineering. And in parallel, the um, approvals work is being done. In fact, we're off up to site next week um, with some of the team to continue the environmental monitoring that's so important to have um, before we go for regulatory approvals. So it really is getting to that stage where it's a it's a, a near near development opportunity. Um, and the other thing that's really exciting about that from a milestones for Cummins range is when we start exploring those near mine anomalies. You know, carbonatite intrusions often occur in clusters. And we've identified about five clusters nearby to the project. Now, if those have the similar, um, if those have similar mineralization, which is highly probable, um, then you end up with a much larger global resource uh, in that region, which can add to the project's life or it can add to the project's scale. So quite exciting stuff. Fantastic, James. Now you you previously mentioned that Cummins Range could be Australia's uh, simplest and most capital efficient rare earths project. Can you elaborate on this for our audience? So really, it's about how far down the value chain do you build the project? A lot of our peers have taken the strategic decision to go the full value chain, which is about five processing steps to go from what's in the ground to um, pre-metal um, metal oxides, rare earth oxides. Now, we've decided to truncate that, partly because there are other um, companies with already have those value chains in place, which we can tap into, and partly because 
um, we have phosphate within the resource. And the phosphate means we can monetize more of the material we're bringing out so we can keep the project smaller. Um, ultimately, that means we have a lower development capital uh, for more product output than any of our peers. And I think that stands us aside from being, uh, instead of being a multi-billion dollar development, uh, which has its challenges uh, financially and technically, we're uh, you know, a few hundred million dollars in development, which is a lot simpler to project manage. Okay, interesting. And now, so beyond your Cummins project, what role do you see Mount Mansfield um, and Red Dragon uh, playing in Rare Earth's strategic sort of future moving forward? Mount Mansbridge is very much on theme. Uh, it's a heavy Rare Earth uh, project. It's quite close to Brown's Range, which is owned by Northern Minerals, which a lot of listeners will know. Um, that's our heavy Rare Earth exposure. Uh, we're doing a field campaign on that once we mobilize up into the Kimberley in a month or so's time. Uh, Red Dragon offers uh, what some think is an IOCG potential. It's reasonably deep, but incredibly large. Uh, we're going for government funding to support some deep drilling on that project. It's a little outside of our primary wheelhouse. And when we've um, discovered what's actually down there, we'll make a decision strategically as how to carry that project forwards. But super exciting. It is massive and it's reasonably deep and it could be IOCG. Okay, fantastic. So it sounds like you've got, you know, a lot of opportunities over there, but you've just also announced um, that you're exploring opportunities in Canada and also in Saudi Arabia. Uh, what makes those regions so attractive and why are you exploring in those in those areas? Look, we've known for some time that Cummins Range as a project was going to reach a point in time where the focus becomes what I just articulated, offtake, pre-approvals um, and the likes. And so the technical workload drops off somewhat. Um, we've also known for some time that it's going to be imperative to have good quality projects proximate to end markets. Cummins range is in the Asia Pacific. The end market is here. Um, to access the end markets of Europe and uh, North America, uh, we felt it necessary to start looking for projects that are regional to those end markets. Uh, and it's taken about six months to work through how do we approach this? What criteria do we use for company selection, for project selection? We've certainly landed on Canada and Saudi Arabia. Now, the reasons for that are proximity to end markets. That's key. The rocks, uh, the age of the rocks, obviously, that's key. But also massive intent by those respective governments to develop their critical mineral industries, massive financing to support the development. Um, the rule of law applies to both. They've both got low cost, cheap energy. Um, so those factors make it very important. And I think it's uh, very important for our selection. I think it's worth noting um, we want to focus there because if you chase too many rabbits, you don't catch any. So we're putting our attention there. We've got a resource 100% dedicated to Saudi Arabia. We've got a resource 100% dedicated to Canada. They provide similar, um, they're thematically similar, but they have that big material difference that Canada is a known quantity. Many investors will... Uh, listening will probably have projects that they've invested in which are in Canada. Saudi Arabia is a real emerging market. Uh, it's really underexplored, which means there's massive potential for relatively small companies to pick up oversized projects. Yeah, that's so interesting. Now, continuing on the, you know, the thematic scene, 
Um, we know that Rare Earths is, is, is experiencing a bit of a downturn in the market. So how is the company navigating this, this downturn um, in the global Rare Earths market, and, but also looking at expansion plans at the same time? Yes, you're you're quite right. the The sentiment has moved away from the critical minerals um, metals uh, in the short term. I think it's driven somewhat by uh, a reduction in the growth of the uptake of electric vehicles and wind turbines and the like. Um, the growth is still there. The growth is still actually very impressive, somewhere between six and twelve percent compound annual growth rate year on year out to twenty thirty five, twenty forty, depending on who's forecasting. So the, the fundamentals are still there. But you're right. Right now. Um, the sentiment has moved out, and it's also unfortunately moved out of the junior sector, and uh, money's moved into uh, more liquid stocks higher up the the, the, the market cap curve. Um, so clearly, what we're doing is cost control. That's a, a first most important thing. A lot of our corporate overheads have been wound back. A lot of our team, um, which are very capable, um, are contracting out to other companies, which is a fantastic way of building their professional. Um, building them, building their professional capability, as well as bringing money into the company. Um, and so also looking outside of what we've got, we've got the internal capability, we can start looking outside of uh, our existing portfolio, as I said. And so I think we can position ourselves very well for when the sentiment returns to this sector. And, uh, and we should be well positioned to take advantage of that more so than the alternative which is to shrink and to close up shop temporarily and to uh, hibernate through the difficult times. Yeah, that's so interesting. It is such a juxtaposition where you've got, you know, change in sentiment in the rare earth sector, but also there's still the fundamentals, which you mentioned, um, you know, with rare earths being fundamental to, you know, green technologies moving forward. Um so, James, I just have one more question for you, which is um, you've sort of summarized a little bit over there, but just as a quick summary, two to three key investment takeaways as to why investors should keep REE on their investor stock watch list. Very good. Well, first of all, we've got come in range, right? It's a reasonably advanced development stage project, technically Australia's largest it's got the potential to grow with those near mine anomalies and really add to the um, enterprise valuation of that project. Secondly, we've got the expansion, both the uh, the portfolio we currently have and defining those assets um, in more detail, but also the growth, the inorganic growth beyond that, which is hugely exciting. And I, I hope um, hope the listeners can understand that we really have the capability technically and commercially to be able to expand into that space. And finally, the third point has got to be the market that you pointed to. The fundamentals are still there. And yes, that the, the common thematic is the green energy revolution. But underlying that is also there's more people in this world. Um, there is only ever going to be more technologically connected people. We're not going to go backwards to the Stone Age. We're only going to get more and more integrated with our technology all of which uses these critical minerals. Rare earths are in your phone, in your laptop, um, as well as your electric car, if you're lucky enough to have one. Um, and then the overlay as well, which is um, slightly more concerning, I suppose, in the global um, sense, but is the defense um, requirements. You know, every country now in the West in, in this strategically aligned space is expanding its uh, defense um, budgets. And a lot of the advanced technologies in defense require Rare earths, everything from fighter planes to communication satellites uh, to uh, sensing technologies. So really the fundamentals are there. And that's what underpins that very large, significant growth rate that we see out for a very long time. 
It's so interesting, James. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, you know, not just your insights on, on RareX, but also on the market as a whole. Um, that's all the time we have today, but really looking forward to having you back on the show and watching, yeah, your news flow. Thank you very much.